0: you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 15. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. Um, And while we do that, um, I'm going to ask Stacy to come up here. I know she doesn't want to. Um, But one of the things that we want to do, and we do it fairly regularly, um, is to recognize, (laughs) we recognize our volunteers for all that they do. And listen, um, I want you to know this, that without the volunteers, without our people who serve within our church, there's a lot of things that go uh, or would go undone. And there are a lot of things that get done because of our great volunteers. Stacy has been on the finance team for five, six years. She's been running, operating as our, our treasurer. Um, she serves in the kids ministry. Matter of fact, there's, she's done a lot. And uh, so Stacy has been our volunteer of the month. We want to recognize you, say thank you for all you do, um, and, and just give you a simple appreciation for that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and, and let me say this, um, I don't think you guys realize, it's not just Stacy, Mike, uh, and the rest on our finance team put in, have put in a lot of time. Uh, matter of fact, this last year, we reworked our budget, we did all kinds of things together. They are our um, unsung heroes, they're behind the scenes, uh, people that oftentimes, they, we don't realize how much, right, they like to be behind the scenes, but you guys put in a lot of time and I appreciate that. Thank you, Stacy, uh, for that. Yeah, and... Uh, You know, I I stand here and I say that because I believe the church is only as good as the amount of people or the people who serve within the church. The truth of the matter is a pastor can only do so much. And I think that's one of the failures oftentimes of the American church is that we haven't empowered the people within the church. To do the ministry of the church, because Ephesians chapter 4, which we'll get to, I'm just prepping you for Ephesians 4 when we get there, because the Bible is very clear that it says he called some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. It doesn't say to do the service, right, alone. It is our job to do the service, but it is to prepare God's people for works of service. That is the very role and essence of what Paul is going to say later as we get to there. So just... I don't know, maybe wet your whistle for some stuff that's coming up. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. We're going to be talking about prayer this morning. And he says this, Paul says, for this reason, right? He's referencing back to everything that he talked about in those first verses, verses 3 through 14. He says, for this reason, because of all the praise of who God is, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks. Everybody say, giving thanks for you, right? This is Paul's prayer. He's saying this to the individuals, the people at Ephesus. Matter of fact, this letter was a circular letter, traveled around a lot of those various churches in what is modern day Turkey today. And he says, I have not stopped That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that your word would be preeminent, that your word in in Christ, in your word, your spoken word, your revealed word in the Bible, God would be the very thing that calls us to the truth, that reveals the things in our heart that we need to confess of, and God, that we can pray with great expectation, knowing that you want to do great things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, last week, we talked about this, Ephesians chapter 1. The whole point of the book is to remind us of our position in Christ. Matter of fact, the first three chapters are going to be all about our position in Christ. You're going to look at these things, and we talked about last week how it was all about praising God. Matter of fact, verse 3 said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He unpacks that. Matter of fact, I forgot to say this last week, and I was telling Chris, for those of you who struggle with English, which is me, all right? yeah, amen. Thank you. That's a vote of confidence from my wife. <laughs> she proofread every paper I ever turned in. Trust me. She knows what I'm talking about. But Paul, in chapter, or in, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, writes the world's longest run-on sentence. I don't know if you realize this. Our English doesn't do so great a job, but in the Greek, it is literally all one statement. It is all one sentence because Paul is focusing on the praise of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is focusing on worship, right? Worship in song, worship in acknowledgement of who he is. He's, He's unpacking this. He's basing all of this letter to the Ephesians around this, and then he says, for this Reason, because of the very praise that we worship him with day in and day out, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So today's idea is this idea of how we have power in prayer. See, what an amazing encouragement that Paul gives right here to the church in Ephesus. And I told you, it's not just this church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, but it was the surrounding churches that you read about, even in the book of Revelation, that were started, that were founded. And this letter was a circular letter that traveled, and he's letting the people know, listen, I have heard about your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, And so I think it's important that when we understand the role of prayer in our lives, we begin to understand that prayer starts with praise. It starts with an understanding of who God is, right, and who we are, and as a result of that, our prayers then are built upon not who we are, but in who God is, In order to experience power in my prayer life, I have to call on the only one who can answer the prayers, the only one who can provide a direction in the way I need to go, the only one who can change hearts, the only one who can restore, redeem, and rebuild everything that has been torn apart. And so when we think about this, I think about the very essence of what Paul is trying to communicate, and that is this, that in order to experience the power of prayer, we have to understand who God is. And Paul is praying. Please hear me out when I say this. Paul is praying and praising in prison. Like, as I read Ephesians, I read one of the most encouraging letters that Paul wrote. Like, almost every letter Paul wrote, Paul had some correction to the church, right, when he wrote. 1st and 2nd Corinthians, correction to a church, Galatians, just talking about the freedom because they were bound to go back to things. Colossians is all about proclaiming who, but like Paul's letters had, hey, listen, you got some things you got to work on and here comes Ephesians. In Ephesians is Paul's idea. He just wants them to know, hey, this, here's your purpose, right? Here's your position in Christ and then here is your purpose in Christ as well. So he begins to unpack that. As I thought about this, I've been reminded of a couple songs this past week. As a matter of fact, I played them on the way to church. My wife was probably like, oh, "Okay, right? okay, here we go." But uh, there are a couple songs that I can't get enough of right now um, when they come on. There's one called "Hallelujah Anyway" by a group called Ren Collective. If you listen to 885 or or K Love, you probably heard it. But he talks about the reality in this song, even if my daylight never dawns, even if my breakthrough never comes, even if I'll fight to bring you praise, even if my dreams fall to the ground, even if I'm lost, I know I'm found, even if my heart will somehow say hallelujah anyways. And here's the reality, Paul's in prison, chained and shackled for the gospel. And I can only think that Paul's heart is saying, Well, guess what? I'm going to praise you anyways because you brought me to this place. And no matter what I face, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to pray. And so listen, listen to what Paul says again. He says, I heard about your faith. Please, when I understand this, when I dig into this, when I think about what Paul is trying to convey, is it a very encouraging time? It's a very encouraging and challenging letter. Do you know that there is a great cure To worry, and it's called prayer. The trouble with our praying is we just don't do it, or we oftentimes do it as a last resort. We don't think about what it means. And so I believe that Paul grasps hold of the goodness and greatness of God and the rich benefits of the gospel, and he wants to encourage these people. Matter of fact, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Here's the highlight for today that. We should pray with praise for the blessings of the growing work of God in our lives. As a matter of fact, I would even shorten that and just say, why don't we pray with praise? You ever thought about that? That as you pray, you pray with praise. Praise praising God for the good times and the bad, praying God for the struggles and the difficulties, for the frustrations, the heartache, the the, the pain at times that we pray with praise. Listen to what he says, and I think there's something beautiful about the, the communication that Paul is trying to make here, but he's letting us know that he has heard about the faith of the believers in Ephesus. Now, if we were to put that in the context today, I want you to know that Turkey is one of the top, most persecuted countries for Christians, believers. Matter of fact, it's illegal to be a Christ follower in Turkey. Matter of fact, we, we have some things that, that go on over there. There are IMB missionaries uh, and stuff in the Middle East, and I know there's works going on. We don't know where. It's not necessarily disclosed and things like that. But I want you to think about this. Paul is in prison, and he's heard about the faith of the believers in those churches. And my question would be is this. As we enter in and we think about prayer, would that be said about the church at Three Trails? Could that be said about you? That other believers have heard of our faith in Christ our walk in obedience, our willingness to boldly proclaim the gospel? Or is it something that's just a hypothetical in this church? Because I think there's something to be said here that the very God that we talked about last week and the praise that is all due him is the foundation upon which we build our prayer lives. And I don't know about you, but I would rather have people know about my faith in Christ than anything else. That when people would say, hey, Brian Grout, they wouldn't go and go, hey, Brian Grout, that's that pastor at Three Trails. Or hey, Brian Grout, that's that guy who, who's the parent of three kids. Or hey, Brian Grout, that's that guy that plays softball. Or hey, Brian Grout, that, that, that's that guy that does this or does that. But rather they would say, man, I know Brian because of his faith in Christ. My question is, is that the very thing that God or that, that people would say about each one of us here today? And their faith, their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, their faith that they would walk in obedience no matter the costs, their faith that goes forward that when all else fails, they can say, listen, I still have my faith. There is nothing that can rock me off of that. So I want you to think about it this way. I believe that it's important as we pray that, number one, we thank God for the evidence of God's grace. That's what Paul is starting. We thank God for the evidence of God's grace. Somewhere in the midst of of, of the Christian life became the struggle that we forgot who we were prior That's oftentimes why churches have struggles relating to lost people because we've become so disconnected to who we were before Christ that we forget what it was like and we forget the grace that God offers to all of us. And so as I pray, I thank God for the evidence of God's grace in my life. I thank God for the evidence of his grace in the other people's lives around me, for those believers that, that as I pray, I can thank God for that. Why? Because people like Stacy and Sue who serve in the kids' ministry, people who, who are part of the praise team, those are people who their faith is evident in what they do. And listen, the church can't accomplish that without people. Because the church is What? People. So when I think about this, thanking God, Paul is laying this out, and I love what he says. I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. And then he says this and your love for all the saints. You know, the Bible is very clear, and it says that there are two basic things that would take place. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's faith. And love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul basically unpacks what is the greatest commandment. And he says, man, I listen to you and I hear your story. The story of your faith in Jesus and the story of your love for other believers. And the Bible also comes out and it says it very clearly that all people will know you're you're my disciples by this. Your love for one another. And so Paul is laying this out, that the church at Ephesus, in the midst of drastic persecution, in the midst of trying times and hard times, Paul writes this letter to encourage them in their position, their position in who they are in Christ. They are blood-bought, they are redeemed, they are saved by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And listen, no matter what they face, they can face it with great joy and with great expectation. See, the more we pray, I believe the more thankful we become. Matter of fact, if you're maybe like me, a pessimistic nature, right, always expecting the worst, like my wife will tell you that, like I don't go anywhere and expect the best out of individuals. Like I'm not looking for the good people. I'm like, that dude looks like he can be problem. That may be the first guy I got to take out right? Like, like, that's just me, right? Like, like I, it's, it's been ingrained in me since I was a kid. I mean, maybe it's because I got into a lot of fights or whatever it was, but I'm the guy who's always looking for the bad. I'm like, that guy's trouble. That one's trouble. Oh, look at those two, the way they're interacting. Those two are definitely trouble, and I'm going to keep my eye on them. Everybody else is like, I didn't see that. Did you see what she was wearing? And I'm like, I didn't see what she was wearing. I was looking like, at those two, they look like trouble. Right? If you're the pessimist, oftentimes we pray that way, don't we? Right? We pray about the negative. And what I believe Paul's starting off with is the prayer. In his prayers, he's encouraging these believers. Why? Because of their faith, because of their trust, because of everything gone on. And I believe that the more we pray, the more thankful we become. That in every circumstance I face, in every difficulty, every trial, as I'm praying, I become thankful for those trials. Not that they're easy. Not that I don't want them to go away. Please hear me out when I say that. It's not that, man, God, I just, I love this trial you're putting me in, right? Don't ever take it away. I've never heard anybody pray that. But what I can say or what we can do is that we know in the midst of the trial that we're going through that when we pray with a thankfulness, we know that at the end, God's going to see it to fruition, whatever that is. Whatever He wants to come out of that, that's going to be that thing. And I think about that, and I, I've, I've joked around with this before, but there's that old Garth Brooks song, I think I said it a couple weeks ago, maybe even sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, right? And sometimes the very thing is we need to see God's prayers fulfilled, not answered the way we want. So... I think it's easy to be critical of others when we really need to do is look for the diamond among the dirt. And I want to challenge us that as we look at that, that we look deeply within and we thank God for the evidence of God's grace, God's grace in our life, God's grace in those lives of the people that are around me. And then I love what he says in verse 17. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you with this. I have three things that I think Paul prays for. Number one is the spirit of wisdom to know God better. And I love how he, he words verse 17. He says, I keep what? 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 Oh, okay. I, I just couldn't hear. Right? Matter of fact, it's almost a, a, an exact repli- a, a resemblance of the last song we sang. I keep asking. It's this idea of the persistent widow that Jesus talks about in this parable about praying that I keep asking the Lord. And he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Is that your prayer? Your prayer should be that very simple, simple thing that he's laying out, that God, would you give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, even in the midst of all the trials, even in the midst of the struggles and the pain and the heartache, God, I want to know you you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want a fellowship in your suffering. Keep that in mind. Keep asking persistently over and over and over again. See, God's greatest desire is for you to know him. That's why he sent his son. His greatest desire is for you to know him and to know his heart, to know his love, and to know his passion for you. The Christian life is about knowing God and making God known to others. John 17, verse 3. As a matter of fact, I call John 17 the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know what the Bible says, or at least what the titles in your Bible say, right? We we identify our Father who art in heaven as the Lord's Prayer. I think that was just Jesus teaching them how to pray. But John 17 is Jesus' prayer before he is crucified on the cross. And in John 17, verse 3, it says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus' words himself. So the essence of my prayer or my prayer should be that I have a spirit of wisdom to know God better. You know, God reveals himself in his word, which is what we're looking at. He reveals himself through the Son. He reveals himself through his creation. I also believe he reveals himself through his calling of you. And I also believe he reveals himself through our circumstances. And when the circumstances come up, do you go out and call out to him in prayer saying, God, I just want to know you better in the midst of this. In the joy of whatever's going on, God, I want to know you better. Let me focus on who you are and what you desire to accomplish in me. In the midst of a trial or a storm or a struggle in life, God, I want to know you and I want to know the power of your resurrection and the fellowship in your suffering as I walk through this, knowing that you're going to work out everything for my good, for my benefit. Colossians chapter 1 Verse 9 says, now this is eternal life, or sorry, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding of the spirit, right? That the spirit gives. So there's this understanding that he's playing out. And J.I. Packer, who's a dead theologian, he was a Canadian pastor, he said this. As a matter of fact, this is one of my top five books. Matter of fact, if you you like to read, there's a great book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Now, I always have to clarify when I tell you I like a book. Just because I like a book doesn't mean I agree with everything under the sun in it. But this is one of the top five books. He says this, those who know God possess four characteristics. Great energy for God, great thoughts of God, great boldness for God, and great contentment in God. So my question when we talk about this, what does Paul pray for? A spirit of wisdom to know God better. Number two, I want to draw your attention to verse 18. He prays that they may know the hope he has called them to. And I pray that you and I would know the hope that God has called them to. Look at verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, We just talked about a little bit last week about our previous sermon series called The Afterlife. But I want to ask you this question. How often are our eyes closed to the hope we have in Christ? How often are we blinded to the hope we have in Christ because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and put them on everything else? See, we miss out on so much when we aren't looking. As a matter of fact, um, I told you I watch some of these videos every now and then, and, and one of the videos is like when people just aren't paying attention. Like, I am the king of laughing at idiots. I don't know if you're like that with me. I'm just the guy who's like, obviously, they're not getting to it. But, but it's, it's obvious when people aren't paying attention, right? Like, I, I see these, these videos every now and then of like cars, and you're like, what were you thinking? So I just happened to see one the other day. There's there's this car, and all these people got dash cams now, which I don't know. Maybe you do or don't want one, but they got dash cams now. So you get all kinds of crazy things going on. So like I see one car that's flying down the road on the shoulder, and I don't I don't know. I'm, I don't know if they were texting, so they decide to go on the shoulder. I don't know if, what what, but all of a sudden they go down the ditch, hit this hill, launch about fifty feet in there, hit a tree flip over, land on his top, and it's like, what were you thinking? And yet, oftentimes, that's how we focus on life. We keep our eyes on Christ, we stay focused on what's going on, and we can respond to the traffic, we can deal with any difficulties or wrecks. When we come to a screeching halt because something's going on, we can still keep our eyes on Christ and be safe, but the reality is oftentimes things come up and we take our eyes off Christ, and what does Paul say? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope. Do you realize that no matter what struggle you face, no matter what difficulty you have, no matter what you're going through, that Paul wants you and I to know and understand the hope we have in Christ. That's the promise he's laying out. And he says, it's not just the hope to which you've been called, but the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is laying this out to the, uh, the church at Ephesus here. And he's saying, listen, no matter what you're going through, always remember the hope that you have. It will never spoil, perish, or fade. The life you have with Christ is an eternal life. And so as we pray, we pray with great hope, knowing that God has called us to this hope and this glorious inheritance in the saints. Keep in mind the inheritance that God promises. An inheritance is a gift. It's not something you earned. It's given to you. You just have to accept it. And so that's what he's calling us out. When I pray, I pray with hope, knowing that it is the hope that he's called me to. The glorious inheritance, the riches of all that he gave me. And then here's the last thing I want to focus on as we kind of wrap this up. Verses 19 through 23, I think, unpack God's power. Like it's almost like Paul is bookending this chapter to say it begins with God and it ends with God. Almost like our lives should be, right? We begin with God because he created us, he formed us and fashioned us, right? And it ends with God. When our time is up, God is going to take us on, right? And so Paul is almost like he's bookended this and he wants to focus again. So we started in verses 3 through 14 on all the praise of who God is. And now we're going to wrap up in 19 through 23 with all of God's power. And so number three is this, that we need to know God's power. That in every situation you are in, you have access to the power that Paul is talking about here. The power that raised God from the dead, that raised Jesus from the dead. See, when we pray, we pray to God over and above all things. We seek the maker of all things. We seek the healer of all things, the redeemer of all things. We seek the one who is all-powerful. Do we really understand the great wealth and access to the power of God we have through prayer? Look at verse 19. And his incomparably great power to us who believe. There's a descriptive word in that verse right there that most of us don't even focus on when we read it. It's called incomparable. There is nothing before, nothing now, and nothing ever will be as powerful as God's work in those of us who believe. It says that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Anybody work out? Like, I think about it this way. Like, every time that God flexes his power, it's like he's just working out. You know, like, it's like the big buff dude that I'll never be. Like, I joke around with my wife every now and then. I'll see somebody. I'm like, oh, look, that's my body double. (laughs) And she's like, yeah. (laughs) With about 200 more pounds and a lot more muscle. (laughs) And and it, it really is like when God flexes his power against everything else, he would be the biggest baddest, toughest dude on the block or in the gym, and nobody could even compare. And it's the idea that when God puts his power to work, he is flexing his muscle. It says that the power is like the working of his mighty strength. And listen to how he exerted it. He exerted it in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So there's this idea that he's working out his mighty strength in Christ. And then, as a result, it's that Christ is enthroned above all things, and he is going to reign forever. And then it says he's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. So here's the promised hope. Here's the praise of who we worship and celebrate. Here's why we pray, because we can acknowledge who God is and God's power that we have access to because Christ is enthroned, because Christ is supreme, and because Christ is the head. That is the very essence where he lays out everything. God, the Father, is sitting there, and Jesus is enthroned, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And so he is enthroned. He is above all things. He is at the position of honor and privilege and victory and power. And listen, Christ is supreme, that all things are under his authority. Ephesians chapter one, all things were created by him and through him, and Christ is the head. And look at, he is the head of the church that's the body of Christ. I remember a long time ago, matter of fact, it'll be 11 years in March. Can you believe that? Those of you who've been here 11 years, I've been here 11 years, my wife and I have, and it seems like a blink to a certain extent. There's a lot of great things that have gone on, but there's also some things that I look back, but I'll never forget one night, and I stood before some individuals in the church, and I said, listen, I don't care where you're at right now, but I'm telling you this right now I will be obedient to God long before I ever cater to the whims of man. And that right there is what Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about. You and I, as believers, are called to be obedient to God. Why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. There is no other head. Pope? Nope. Pastor? No, not even close. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body. And it says, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Please hear me out when I say this, that Jesus has the final say. That God's word is our authority. That as we think about our prayer lives, as we pray with great expectation, that we can pray with praise. Acknowledging who God is realizing that he wants to do some great things. And please hear me out when I say this. I know that some of you are probably going through some storms. You know, there's the old adage, you're either going through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. You know what I'm talking about? And I don't care where you're at, where you've been, or how long you've been a believer. It's just a matter of time. You're going to be in one of those three. And the truth is this that we can go to God in prayer and we can praise him for the storm. Oftentimes think about that old casting crown songs, I will praise you in the storm. And my question is this, in the midst of what you're going through, whether good or bad, whether trial and temptation or victory, when you pray, do you pray with praise, with hope, and with expectation? Because we serve the living King who's enthroned, who is supreme, and who is head of all things. Let's pray. Father, we we acknowledge your goodness and your grace. And God, I pray, God, I pray really that this would be our heart's cry that God, we would be people who desire to be known for our faith in you and our love for each other more than anything else. That when we walk by faith and we walk in obedience to what you have called us to do, God, that we will see a great harvest because we know the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, we also know that our love for others is the very thing that will stand out That's how others know that we're your disciple, because of our love for one another in the church, that when a storm comes, we can stand in the rain. Maybe we provide the umbrella, or maybe we're just the encouragement who says, I know you're getting wet, and I know you feel beat down, but I am here with you. And God, we know that when we gather with one another, that we don't gather alone, because where two or more are gathered, there you are also. So may we be the people who love one another, who show our love with great compassion, with great joy, and great expectation, asking you to work in us and through us in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with a song. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be up here you need somebody to talk to about salvation, you ever put your faith and trust in Christ, you want to do that for the first time, I'd love to talk to you. You can respond on our connection card as well. But our desire is this, that we be people who are known for our faith and our love, and that we do that by praying day in and day out for those things.